Let's bow together. Father, we thank you that through your son Jesus we have forgiveness of sins, that our sins have been washed clean uh, through the blood of your son. And Father, we thank you that because of what Christ has done, we have a relationship with you. And you have taken us from darkness to light, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And, uh, Father, it is your desire for us to become more like your Son, to be conformed to his image. And I thank you that you use your Spirit uh, with your Word to work in our hearts that which is pleasing to you as we trust you and obey you. And, Father, I pray as we come to your Word that you would... Help us uh, see ourselves rightly. In light of your word, help us to respond. Help us to be changed and made more like your son Jesus and closer to you. So we ask you to bless this time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you think of the word holy? You know, for kids, they probably think of uh, Swiss cheese or something. Who knows? They think of holes. But for those of us who understand, what do you think of when you think of the word holy? Some people think of some very stiff uh, old fogies singing hymns with frowns on their faces, maybe. Um, For some, it maybe makes them think of a monastery or some type of uh, uh, religious uh, order or something like that. But what is biblical holiness? What is true holiness? Well, today we're going to uh, take a little diversion from Nehemiah. We've been looking in Nehemiah at uh, the repentance of these Jews and their desire to do what is right, to obey the Lord, to really walk, as we will see, in a way that is holy, to be like their God, as we'll see. And we should have a desire to be like our God, which was the same God we're going to see that we are to live a lifestyle of holiness. You say, wait a second, I know how sinful I am. I know how how much I fail. Well, how can that be? Well, we're going to see today that we are called to be like him. And when we keep in mind the goal of what God is doing through everything in our lives, it helps us then see uh, how the situations and circumstances that we come across, God is using to make us more like his son, Jesus. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. Now the context, the Apostle Paul is writing believers in Asia Minor. They are, uh, that would be what we would call modern day Turkey right now, that area. And they have been identified by Peter as those who reside as aliens scattered uh, who are chosen. They're chosen sojourners, just like us. We've been chosen by the Lord God to be his people, and we are just aliens on this earth. We are sojourning on this earth. This is not our home. And he is writing to remind these believers and us that uh, as sojourners on this earth, we've been chosen for so great a salvation, and yet uh, while we reside as aliens and sojourners here, how are we to respond to the difficulties that come in the midst of this temporary time on this earth. Well, we're going to see that as he wrote this in 63, 64 AD, that uh, suffering was just about on the horizon for these, uh, these uh, 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 
believers uh, who were uh, in Rome. Nero was about to bring a fiery ordeal literally upon Christians. And Peter writes this letter so that uh, we would understand the reality of why we suffer, but also what we, how we are to respond to suffering, how we are to respond. And we're going to see that through and through this letter and what we'll see today, that they were exhorted to do what is right to do the right thing in the midst of difficulties and suffering and allow God to conform us to the image of his son. Now, Peter has uh, explained here already that by his great mercy, God's great mercy, we've been, uh, we've been uh, uh, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have a tremendous present salvation which leads to an eternal hope that is alive It's this present salvation that leads to a future inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. It will not decay, it's not defiled, and it is forever. And that we believers are protected by God's power for a salvation, a wondrous salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This amazing truth, we temporary residents have been born again to a tremendous eternal salvation and uh, we've barely scratched the surface into what that will be like, as we see, and Peter begins to show these tremendous realities. Now, within that, having been born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this tremendous salvation, Peter begins to address the temporal realities of trials in light of this great salvation. In verses 6 through 9 in chapter 1, he points out that we're going to encounter difficulties, but we should be rejoicing because of our great salvation in Christ, despite uh, the difficult, distressing trials. And secondly, as we encounter these difficulties, we should understand the reality or the nature of these varied and distressing trials, that they're temporal and that they're not even always necessary. If necessary, we've been, we've been uh, distressed by various trials. And third, as we encounter these difficulties, we need to understand that God is using them to purify us and make make us like Christ and to demonstrate and prove our faith as genuine. And lastly, as we encounter these difficulties, we need to know how to respond, that although we don't see the Lord Jesus, we should continue to love him. And although we don't see him, we should continue to believe in what he has said. And although we don't see him, we should rejoice as the Lord works out his will in our lives, and we will obtain on a real-time basis the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Tremendous reality. And so this wonderful reality is in the midst of these temporal distressing difficulties is that God is working through them, and the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Now, we know from Scripture that we've been saved, we were justified, and we know that God is sanctifying us, we're being saved, and we know that we will be glorified And that will happen when we see Jesus. And so in light of this tremendous salvation, although we're going through trials, we should be fixing our hope on our Lord Jesus alone. We should be fixing our hope on the grace to be brought to us when he comes. And then the reality that Jesus will finish the job, that he will make us like himself. He will transform the bodily of our humble state into conformity with his glory. Tremendous, wonderful reality. And with that, we're also, as we're going to see, presently be living in the context of holiness. God has ordained that we're holy, and he is working that, that we become, as we will see, holy. We are to become holy, as we'll see. And I'll explain what that means.
So then with that in mind, how can we live a lifestyle of holiness? How can we do so? We're going to see we've been called to be like him. Let's start and read. Let me go back a verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action. That's in light of this, this, this tremendous salvation in which you have this tremendous hope and you're looking for Jesus to come and finish the job. Therefore, in light of that, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, here's our passage, do not be conformed to the former lusts which yours were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And we hear that and we go, I am so unholy. I mess up so much. And we think, how in the world can this be? How can this be? What does he mean by this? How does this work out in real time as believers to, to be holy or to become holy? How is this possible? How is this possible? Well, we're going to see uh, within this context that uh, Jesus Christ, in completing this salvation, brings hope uh, that the process of being conformed to his image will also take place also. Also, also. All right? <laughs> So with that in mind, uh, you, might, uh, you might have been with us when we went through this passage a few years ago, uh, about five years ago. That's a long time, maybe a little more than that, actually. But uh, notice, uh, I want to read what we just went through and back up a little bit to get a little context for what we're going to see today. Look back in verse 10. As to this salvation, this is the salvation that uh, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have this inheritance in heaven that's undefiled and perishable, will not fade away. Tremendous, wonderful eternal reality. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your heart, hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have this phrase, fix your hope completely. Therefore, because of this tremendous salvation, which the prophets sought to figure out and understand diligently, which the angels long to look, tremendous salvation. Uh, we are to get our thoughts in order. We're not to be uh, allowing them to get out of control. We're to be sober in spirit. We're to gird our minds for action, for action. And when Christ appears for his church, we're going to be changed. And these bodies of death will be done away. They'll be glorified. We'll be, they'll be glorified. Uh, never to ex personally experience sin, death, sorrow, tears ever again. And so with that in mind, having this tremendous reality of what we're looking forward to and fixing our hope in, with that in mind, Peter begins to speak about present realities and how we are to respond in the present and as I mentioned in our study of Nehemiah, we've been talking about obedience, a changed heart that desires to obey. And what does that look like? I believe this passage is going to help us, help us understand and how God produces that in us. So then, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, 
but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, before we get to the nuts and bolts of this passage, I want to point out some important things that help us, some general observations which will help us understand this rightly, and then we'll pull everything together. But uh, first of all, there's actually only one command in our passage first in these portions between 14 and 16, and it is in verse 15 in the middle. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. That's the command. But then there is a, a participial phrase connected to it, uh, and as we see it in verse 14, as obedient children not being conformed, or do not be conformed, that's really not being conformed. It's a participial phrase. So the main phrase is be holy in all your behavior, not being conformed. So you could say it this way. As children of obedience, not being conformed yourselves to your former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be, your, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. So we have the command to be holy, and we have the context, which is not being conformed to your former lusts. So literally, we are to be holy and not conformed, as we'll see. And then we have the reasoning in verse 16. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's the reasoning. That's the reasoning. So with that in mind, let's take a brief look at the command first, and then we'll get to the, 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 how it applies specifically to us and how we can be uh, holy in the context of not being glorified yet, how we can be holy, and how we are to become, as we will see, holy. So then here we have uh, the main command, be holy yourselves. It's connected to the contrast, uh, not being conformed to your former lusts. And we're going to see the implication is that you can't be holy unless you are not conformed to your former lusts. If you are being conformed to your former lusts, you're not going to be holy. You, that is a prerequisite. It has to happen, as we will see. It has to happen. Now, there's another nuance in this, uh, which is important to understand. It's in the Greek, uh, and this command is in an aorist imperative uh, mood, and it's in a, in, a, in a passive voice, which what does that mean? And it's not the, the main verb, emi, to be. is another word, ginomai, which means to become. To become. So it's speaking of a process. To become something. And you could say it in the passive voice, let yourself become holy. Which implies God is working on you, but we are getting in the way. You see? Let him make you holy. Because he said, because I am holy, you should be holy. And we're going to see that. Let him make you holy. That is his goal. He is working through things, as we'll see. He's working through events and suffering and discipline and all these different things and we can resist that by either being conformed to our former lust or resisting him allowing us to become holy to become holy so it's important to see that allow yourselves to become holy stop getting in the way of the process that god has and has ordained for his people we got to see it that way because i get in the way and I get in the way, and I get in the way, you see? It's me, myself, and I, all three of us, right? We get in the way. The reality is we are to allow ourselves to become holy. 
And within that, he is commanding us not to be conformed to our former lusts. So now, what is holiness? I talked about it in the introduction. Is it just stiff, stiff, no fun, no smiling, uh, uh, like this? I'm holy now. What does it mean? What does it mean to be holy? Well, the reality is the word holiness or holy means being separate or set apart. That's what it means. And when this term is applied to God, it speaks of his absolute transcendence above his creation, being separate and distinct from the sin of his creation. Okay. Yet inherent in this term, as we'll see in Scripture, is the total, total separation from sin. Holiness is total separation. God is holy. God is righteous. In him there is no sin, and he does not sin. That's holiness, as we'll see. But we're going to see holiness is not simply uh, a characteristic. It is a characteristic that is, that is uh, revealed in action, in action, as we're going to see. God is righteous. He's totally separate from sin. He is holy. And it is an attribute that God alone possesses. In Revelation chapter 15, we have uh, those during the tribulation, uh, great tribulation, who were victorious over the beast, his image. They sing the song of Moses. Turn to Revelation 15, verse 2. Revelation 15, verse 2. Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had come off victorious from the beast and from the from his image and from the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps uh, of harps of God, and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, "Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art." Holy. You see that? For all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. Here we have the reality that God is holy, and his holiness is manifest in his righteous actions, his righteous acts. And we're going to see that holiness is not simply a separation from sin in theory, it is an actual uh, separation in the context of righteousness of doing what is right, as we'll say. And all throughout Scripture, we have references to the holiness of God. Uh, uh, just look at our passage, like the Holy One who called you, right? Uh, and even later on, verse 16, because it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. I am holy. In heaven, it's quite clear that the angels recognize God as holy. Isaiah chapter 6, which is also, we see it in Revelation 4. Isaiah 6, 3, and one called out to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I find it interesting, and not to downplay these other characteristics of our God, but they're not saying love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, grace, grace. They're saying holy, holy, holy. He is completely separated from sin, which means all of his actions are righteous. They are righteous. Everything about our God is righteous. And within that righteousness are his characteristics of love and mercy and grace, which we praise him for, which we praise him for. But the angels, the primary attribute that they're singing about is God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Even the demons in their wickedness recognize Jesus 
uh, being God, being the Holy One of God. You could uh, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 34. Uh, and also in scriptures, we recognize uh, uh, God's people throughout recognize that God's holy. And we have it written in the scriptures. We have Moses singing in, in Exodus 15:1, Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee majestic in holiness? Moses acknowledges his holiness. Awesome in praises, working wonders. The psalmist, and I read this earlier, but I want to read it again. Psalm 99, and notice the psalmist speaking of God's holiness. Psalm 99, verse 1. The Lord reigns. You can turn there. I'll let you give you a second. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise thy great and awesome name. Holy is he. And the strength of the king loves justice. Thou hast established equity. Thou hast executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. And I hope you call upon his name, by the way. We need to call upon his name. He says here, They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. And he spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, thou didn't answer them. Isn't that great? That's another great thing in a second here. But, you know, our God answers us too. We can call upon our holy awesome, righteous God, and he answers us. And notice he says, Thou didst answer them, thou wast a forgiving God to them. I love that. Thou wast a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. Our God's holy. I think we forget about the holiness of our God. And we kind of let it slip by how separated from sin our God is. He is holy. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Even Peter acknowledged he was the holy one of God. Simon Peter, you know, when when the, the Lord queried him, are you going to leave like everyone else? I was leaving, basically. And Peter said in, in John six sixty eight, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now that's going to be crucial later on for us to understand because we cannot be holy apart from the Holy One of God functioning in us. You see? And that means we've got to trust Jesus. He's holy and he will enable us to be separate from sin in our actions when we trust in him. When we're not conformed to our former lusts, which were ours, in ignorance. And this is a process. It doesn't happen. I'm not talking about perfectionism. We are not perfect. We are the confessors of sin. We, we, we fail. But as Paul would say, see to it that you don't go back to from where you've come. Philippians chapter 3. We need to grow. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Concerning Jesus, it's interesting, uh, Peter's profession of faith, we saw that. Um, and we see in Revelation, God alone is holy in the Song of Moses there also. Uh, we have the writer of Hebrews who shares concerning the holiness of God. Uh, that discipline brings it about. 
that spankings bring about holiness. How about that? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read the latter part of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father and spirits and live? He's saying basically, don't squirt out of the, the discipline God is bringing by either treating it lightly or falling apart emotionally. It's too heavy. We had fathers that disciplined us, and we submitted to that. How much more should we submit to our heavenly Father's discipline and have life? And have life. And so he says here, For they disciplined us for a short time that seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. And notice this, that we may share his holiness. There you go. That's the issue to share his holiness. We are not holy in and of ourselves. The only holiness that we will ever have is because he is holy. Because he is holy. And we have a relationship with a holy God through the Holy One, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous, wonderful realities. So here we have holiness that is manifest in action caused by discipline. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, you think of holiness, uh, it's doing what is right. But it's God doing what is right through you by faith. Instead of getting worried, you give it over to the Lord. You trust him. That's a holy response. Instead of getting angry, you give it over to the Lord. That's a holy response. You trust him. Instead of being worried, you know, again, being worried, you, 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 you pray and you rely on him and you ask him for his help. There are righteous responses and unrighteous responses, but God wants us to be holy in all our behavior. And what we're going to see is that God uses his word by his spirit to convict us, to correct us and train us that we would then do by faith what is right. What is right. You see, holiness is manifest in righteousness. His righteousness brought forth in us. It's not a stuffy uh, word. It's, it's, it, it speaks of being separated from sin, but practically speaking, in the context of righteousness. Uh, take a look at Revelation 22. Revelation 22. That's right at the end of your Bibles. Revelation 22, and I'm going to read verse 11. And this is a, a practical um, explanation. Revelation 22, verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and let the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice or do righteousness, and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. See the connection there? And so here we see the doing of wrong, the immoral filthiness in contrast with righteousness being practiced and holiness you know holiness is is not doing what is wrong it's being set apart from that right it's being set apart from that it is the righteous character of god manifest in the true believer it's being separated from the things we just used to do by our old nature without even thinking about it the things we used to do and god is weeding out those things and he's spanking them out of us and he's working on us, and it's a good work, and we got to see it rightly or we might get discouraged. We need to see it rightly because it's actually quite a blessing. 
You see, even in Hebrews, it talks about after the fact that he disciplines us, that we would share in his holiness. He talks about that we would have the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, when you do the right thing because Jesus has worked in your heart to do so, there's peace in that. When you do the wrong thing, there's no peace in that, right? Right? But again, we recognize we do fail and we confess. And we confess and we move forward and God forgives us. And we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, how can we be holy? How is it possible? How is it possible to to, to attain these standards, to become holy? Well, we're going to look at a few things. First of all, let's look at the prerequisite for holiness. Back to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Notice he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. And notice he begins this statement, As obedient children. Now we could misunderstand this. Uh, we could think he's just speaking of, you could look at a child who obeys, and that's what I want you to think of. Well, there, it is that element, but I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that. The way this wording is in Greek, uh, the way it's used is often translated uh, this way, as maybe children of obedience, or uh, rather than obedient children. Children of obedience. As children of obedience, or sons of light you has the same structure not light sons right <laughs> but sons of light sons of the day sons of thunder sons of belial you could translate it and i think better translated is as children of obedience not obedient children as children of obedience and you go wait a second well what it is it is an evident it is something that describes you it's a characteristic because of a relationship because relationship. Think about this. In Scripture, those who are not saved, those who are in Satan's domain, are characterized by disobedience and God's wrath upon them. Uh, we have in Ephesians 2, 2, they're called sons of disobedience. Uh, and then in verse 3, they're called children of wrath. They're not wrath's children, they're children of wrath, you see. Uh, they're not wrathful children, they're not, but they are those who are destined for wrath and identified by it. So I really believe, and many other expositors would agree, that our passage is speaking about the nature of those who are being called and commanded to be holy. The nature, which is they are children of obedience. And so I believe he's saying it this way. Inasmuch as you are a children of obedience, put aside your old life and become holy. Inasmuch as you are a child of obedience. You are a child uh, characterized by a new nature that enables you to obey. And that new nature is that you are related to your heavenly Father who is holy, and you shall be holy, for he is holy. You are children, not children of wrath. You're not children of Satan, the devil. You're children of obedience. You're a person who's characterized by the reality of, as we'll see, obedience and thus the potential to obey and become more like Christ. So then, in our new nature in Christ, we are capable of obeying. Before we came to Christ, we couldn't obey from the heart. We couldn't do so. It would be hypocritical. It would be sinful. It would be lawless. But now we have the ability in Christ with our new nature, we have the capability to obey the Lord because we are his children. We're in a new relationship. 
you see? And so we have to realize obedience is only possible from our new nature. It is not possible from our old nature. In our old man, our old self, when we're thinking that way, obedience to the Lord is impossible. And that's why we feel so constrained and so helpless at times, because it's true. But in our new nature, as we put off the old and put on the new, we are enabled by Christ through his word to obey him. We are children of obedience. And so then the prerequisite is you need to be saved. You can't be holy apart from being saved. You cannot become. Now, we are righteous in standing. We are holy. We are saints in position. But practically speaking, we're not always holy. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not always holy. I, I, I get disgusted at myself at things that happen at times. You, things just happen. You know. You go, oh, Lord, please forgive me. And the Lord, help, help me see things in advance. Help me not get to that point or whatever it might be. And so then, the non-believer can't obey because they're not holy and they don't have a relationship with the holy God. They can't do so. Uh, we need to be saved. And remember, we were saved unto obedience. We were saved unto the goal of obeying our Lord. Back earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, you can just look back. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ. Certainly the initial obedience is believing the gospel and then obeying him on daily uh, reality. Then look up a little farther, 1 Peter 1.22. 1 Peter 1.22. Remember, we've been looking at obedience in Nehemiah, right? Since you have, 1 Peter 1.22, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Since you got saved to love your brother, in obedience to God, love your brother. Now we're going to see this love as this, this obedience and this holiness is almost always in the context of love. Love of God and love of our neighbor. We're going to see that. It's all tied together. It's not simply a, a ivory castle of tower of holiness that isn't uh, interacting in, in reality with people and with the Lord. There's a love. We've been saved to love him and love one another. We're going to see that and how that comes out in the context of obedience. So then, with our new nature and birth in Christ, if it's genuine, we're going to have a new desire to obey. We're going to want to. Now, we get to that point at times, Romans 7, where we want to, but we realize we can't on our own. And that's where we've got to get to the point where we rely and trust and believe thoroughly in our Lord Jesus Christ to come to our aid and to help us. It's not legalistic obedience. It's obedience empowered by the Spirit of God from the heart because we've been saved. Because we've been saved. So back here, and I mentioned this earlier, it's impossible to obey if we are conformed to our old desires, uh, but we are to be holy instead in all our behavior. So then the prerequisite, and then for us as believers, if we do not abide in Christ, if we do not trust in him, if we do not rely on him, if we don't renew our hearts and minds, we allow our minds to be conformed to this world, our desires conformed to the way I used to be, I'm not going to become holy in my behavior. I'm going to become sinful in my behavior. The things I do are going to be sinful. And so we see here, like in John chapter 15, and you know this passage, John 15:4, Jesus says, abide in me. That means to remain, to rest. 
uh, abide in me and I in you. He's got to be in us, resting in us, right? We've got to have Jesus in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we are not relying on Jesus, his character is not going to be born forth in us. You see, it's not going to come forth in us. The fruit of the Spirit, these things are of the Lord. And it's a fruit of his Spirit through abiding in Christ, working in us. So then, our new nature is the only way, the only way we can become holy is by having a relationship with the Holy God. That's the prerequisite for holiness. And then notice, there's a pattern for holiness. There's a pattern. It's a pattern to look at and to see what holiness looks like. By the way, we're going to see that God is our pattern for holiness. When you want to know how to treat somebody, look at how Jesus treated people, but then look at what he says about how we are to treat people. He gives us his word. He says, do this, this, and this, and so we know that's how he would do it and does do it if we would abide in him. We see that. As obedient children, back to our passage, do not be conformed to your former lusts which were yours in ignorance. We'll get to that portion, don't worry. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. So notice there's the contrast. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Like the Holy One who called you. That is... The phrase that gives us the pattern. It's being like him. And guess what? I'm not going to know what he's like unless I'm looking to him and I'm I'm letting his word renew me to see him rightly. You know, we want to be like the Lord Jesus to one another and to the world. Uh, You know, and we get convicted when we're not. We go, wow, that was not right. That was not right. I can give you examples of mine and convict me. You know, kid uh, dings the door at the airport from the car next to me and I jump out and yelling, you know. And then he does it again. <laughs> you know, slams the door against the car. I'm thinking these huge dents in our car. But I was mad and I was wrong. It's wrong. It wasn't holy. I was thinking, how would the Lord have done that? Because I was convicted over it later on, you know. Right away I wasn't convicted. I was convicted. And how would the Lord handle it? How would Jesus, what would he do? Would he say, give me your insurance papers? What would he do? <laughs> Just telling you, the point is, God is our pattern. Like the Holy One who called you. And so if you're wondering how you want to treat your spouse, if you're wondering how you're to treat your children, you're wondering how you're to treat your boss, you're wondering how you're to treat those who don't treat you well, you're wondering, look in the scriptures to his example, but also to his commands. His commands. You see? Now he says, like the Holy One who called you. You see, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm not going to get into the calling that much, but let me share a passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you could turn her, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. So if I want to be holy, I've got to be focusing on Jesus. And I've got to be trusting in Jesus. If I'm focusing on me, myself, and I, all three of us, and also the circumstances, I'm not going to be holy. I'm going to be reacting wrongly. Now, we've got to be careful because there's Satan sneaky and self-righteousness can come in and legalism can come in and we start to do things externally and we're not relying on Jesus Christ and allowing him to do it through us. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning 
for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. There you go. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be holy, 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 holy. You might gain the glory. His character, the things that we glorify him for, he's going to do in us. His tremendous character, holy character. It's through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we were called by God unto a saving relationship to him through Christ. We were called by the grace of Christ, Galatians 1.6. 1 Peter 2.9, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a heavenly and holy calling, uh, Hebrews 3.1 and 2 Timothy 1.9. Uh, through God, uh, through God who is faithful, we were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 1 Corinthians 1 9. And there's a lot of other verses. But there's a goal to this calling, and it's a good goal. Our flesh says, No, it's not. I want my way. <laughs> right? It's a good calling. It's a good goal. Uh, look at um, Ephesians chapter 1. The calling has a goal. That calling has a goal. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Holy and blameless in love. Um, we have tremendous, tremendous truth. Colossians 121, I'll read this for you. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that's the way we were, yet he has reconciled you, in, in, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. And practically speaking, we are being conformed to the image of his, of his son. Uh, Romans chapter 8. And we know that all, verse 28, worked, all things work together for good. To those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say to those who love themselves and are called to their own ways. It's those who love God and are called to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. The image of his son is not getting mad when your door stinked. The image of his son is not lashing out at your spouse. The image of his son is not that. He's conforming us and weeding sin out of us. Weeding sin out of us. So then, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. He is the pattern, like the Holy One who called you. He is the perfect pattern. He is the one to whom we look. You want to know how to respond? Get in the Word of God and let His Word change your heart. Look at how our Lord responds. Look at how our God responds. And so patiently, so lovingly, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Get those truths in. Like him, be holy in all your behavior. We're to walk in a manner worthy of this great calling. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We've been called to be separate from sin, holy, but then to manifest his righteousness in the context of faith. 
of faith, as we abide in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what holiness looks like, look at God. Now, we can see it in people at times, and we are to follow those who are following the Lord, and we're to look at that. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We're to mimic those who, by faith, their faith, the faith of those who trust Lord. But we need to be careful that we don't mimic the sinful parts, right? All right? Look at Jesus. Look at our God. Um, that's the pattern. That's the pattern. Like the Holy One who called you. That's the pattern. And that helps us really, really identify very quickly if we're being holy or not. <laughs> we know it right away. It's not like the Lord, right? That's not like the Lord. That's not like his, not what he says in his word, right? So then we have the, 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 the pattern of holiness. But notice uh, we're to look at the process of holiness also. We're to understand the process. How does he do it? Again, our passage, as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Now here, there is no way to be holy in all our behavior. Become holy, that's really the better translation. Uh, be becoming, be becoming holy, right? That process should be happening, the process. It really emphasizes the process of becoming holy. That's not going to happen if we are conformed to our former lusts. We can't. That has to be. We have to set them aside. We can't be conformed to them. The term lust speaks of strong impulse or desire, and in a negative sense, that's why it's translated lust. Uh, and notice it's modified by a word. That's important. Former lusts. you got new desires, but yet the old desires come up. And he wouldn't say this if we weren't tempted by them. I'll tell you right now. Why would we have this if we weren't tempted by it? If we, if we could not get conformed to our former lusts, there wouldn't be this statement here. We can be conformed to our former lusts. And thus, we need to identify what our former lusts were. If I don't know what my former lusts were, then how am I not going to do those former lusts? Right? My former lusts were me and my desires, as we'll see in a moment. Let me share a couple of passages. Uh, look up a little farther in 1 Peter chapter 4. This is more on the, the, the side of the sensuality end of lust and the party side of lust, I could say, probably. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also for the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, he's going to qualify. He's not saying we're sinless. But he says here, <coughs> so as to live the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts, for the lusts of God, um, but for the will, or for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Then notice what he says. For time already is past sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. That's the lust, former lust, right? Having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them to the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So that speaks of all those former behaviors, right? Driven by our desires, right? Then look at Ephesians chapter 4. We see it also here. A list of the way we were and the way we shouldn't be versus how we should be in the renewed heart and mind. Ephesians 4.17. 
I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Titus chapter uh, 3 talks about the way we used to be. We used to be foolish. I'll read this for you. Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves, we also are once, our, excuse me, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lust and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. There was a hatefulness, there was a, an anger, there was a wrath, there was malice. Uh, there was sensuality, as we saw in the other passages. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and, sin, trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We're children of obedience, right? We're not the way we used to be. Among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were those because we were ignorant of the truth. We lived in those former lusts. We were hardened in our hearts. We were ignorant, and we lived in those lusts. But we are to no longer be conformed to our former lusts. The term conformed here, sus skidmazo, it's a combination of two Greek words, soon, which means with or together, and schema, which means external form or appearance. So with form, we're not to be molded or squeezed into a scheme or, or, or a mold. But if we don't actively, as we'll see, renew our hearts and minds, uh, we will think by default that way. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It would prove uh, that which is uh, prove, was good and acceptable, would prove his will. And how is it we renew our minds? John 17, 17, Jesus is praying. He says, Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. So God's word confronts our lusts. God's word exposes our former lusts because it is in contrast, contradiction too. So we need to be in God's word, need to see it rightly, and it exposes when we're wrong. And so some of you might be trying to be holy and it's just not working. Well, maybe you don't have the power to do so because you never came to faith in Christ. But for those of you who are saved, maybe you're not functioning in accordance with your new nature you're still functioning according to your former lust. Do not be squeezed into that mold and that scheme of living. Confess it, say no, renew your heart and mind. Don't allow your thinking to think the way you used to think before you were saved. Don't let it happen. Let it happen. So notice, this is crucial. This is crucial. Back in our passage, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. We are commanded not to allow our old life or thinking, which is opposite in contrast to holiness, to creep in. 
And it has to do with my way. I want my way. It's really that way. I want my flesh fulfilled in as many different ways. It's my way. It's me, myself, and I. So then, we need to renew our hearts and minds with the Word of God rather than our desires. We need to have God's desires in our hearts premium and for, for, in the forefront. Now, notice he says here, be holy yourselves. He says, do not be more lust, but like the Holy One who called you, be or become holy yourselves. It's personal. Also, you know, I'm not the person that makes you holy. I'm not the holy maker, you know. And i got to make you holy and you holy and you holy and you holy, right? Be holy yourselves. Become holy yourselves. could just say become holy. It says become holy yourselves. Also, because God is holy, in all your behavior. The term speaks of conduct, actions, right? Um, it's your way of life. Chapter 1, verse 18, translated way of life. Uh, it's uh, translated uh, con- uh, behavior, chapter 2, 12, and chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and 16. It's behavior. It's your actions. We are to not be allowing ourselves to be conformed to those desires we used to have before Christ, but we are to, like the Holy One who called us, become holy also in all our behavior. And that's what God is doing. He is doing that. And it's not an external holiness, which leads to hypocrisy and pride. It is an internal holiness that is complete from dependence on Christ. And you know it's all him because you can't do it. And you know when you trust him and he does it, he gets all the praise. When he enables us to respond differently and there's joy in that, it is all to God's glory. It is all to his glory. It's God, powerful God, powerfully working on us. Allow yourself to become holy. Let me ask you this. Are you allowing yourself to become holy? Or is your former way of thinking getting in the way? Toss it out. Confess it. Get it out of there. And allow yourself to become holy. And that's in the context of trusting the Lord. One pastor writes, Real faith inevitably produces holiness of heart and righteousness of life. Real faith. Trusting the Lord Jesus. Abiding in him. See, because most of our unholiness is because we don't trust him to provide things that we want. You know, we have the wrong wants, or we don't trust him to deal with the people or situations that are in our circumstance. We don't trust him, so we, we worry about it, we step in, we act on it, rather than trusting the Lord Jesus and responding rightly. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we've seen the prerequisite for holiness. You need to be in Christ, a child of God. Changed nature, being able to obey, have a relationship with the Lord. The pattern of holiness, it is God himself, the Holy One who called you. The process, it is in putting off one's old thinking, renewing your mind with the Word of God and by the power of the Spirit, and then in obedience, in contrast, and de- in contrast, depending on Christ, depending on Christ and abiding in him to allow his nature to be manifest in you. And then notice, when we finish up with the sure promise of holiness, the sure promise of practical holiness, it'll happen. Not perfection, not perfection, but holiness. Notice what he says here, because, verse 16, it is written, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus uh, chapter 19, Leviticus 19. And I'll read that for you, 19.1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, 
saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your for I the Lord your God am holy. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. So the ultimate reasoning for being holy is because he's holy. That's the ultimate reasoning. We're not to be conformed to our former lust, but to be like the Holy One because he's holy. Because he's holy. But notice this. This isn't a future tense. You shall be holy. You shall be holy. Because it is written, you shall be holy. There's a process. Right now we are becoming holy in our actions. We're holy in position, but we're becoming holy in our actions. And we will, he will finish the job. There's the sure promise, right? You shall be holy. So often we think, wow, I'm never going to make it. I'm such a sinner. Well, that's starting to think the wrong way. I'm starting to think focused on myself. And i got to say no to that. i got to say, wow, but this is what God says. And I believe you're changing me. I believe you're working in me. I believe you will help me. And I will become holy. I will ultimately be glorified because of Christ. Praise the Lord. God is holy, so you shall be holy. The promise of holiness. So we have a choice. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. Uh, As believers, if we become rebellious, it becomes the hard road. And God has to spank us a little more. And he has to discipline us harder. And that means we're his children. And we should learn that we should share in his holiness. We're all going to have that. Or we can abide in Christ and we can allow him to change us. We can obey this command to not be conformed to our former lusts, which are ours and ignorance, but become holy because he called us to be holy and he is holy. So then, we've seen the prerequisite for holiness. That is, uh, we need to be a child of God. We've seen the pattern. It's the Lord himself. It's God. We've got to look in the word. What is it? What, what is, how am I going to be holy in this circumstance? i got to look at what Jesus would want me to do and what he would say and how he might respond, right? And then trust him to do it through me. It's in the process. Putting off one's old thinking, renewing your heart and mind by the spirit and power of God, and then in obedience, depending on Christ and doing what he says. And then we know the sure promise, because he's holy, we shall be holy. So then, is there any behavior in your life that you know is not holy, that is conformed to the way you used to think? Throw it out. Confess it. You know, now we're going to have things come upon us all the time, but we shouldn't be holding on to stuff. Throw it out. Confess it. Be changed. And then when things pop up, God's going to weed them out. We're in the process of becoming holy because he is holy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for what you have said is going to happen in us, what you have promised is going to happen. And Lord, I thank you that you are working out in our lives uh, that we might become more holy, that we might become holy in all our behavior, Lord God. We know it's not perfection, but we know your desire is for us to obey and abide in your son Jesus And I pray that we would take this to heart, that we would not allow ourselves to be conformed to our former lusts, which were ours in ignorance, but that we would become holy in all our behavior because you're holy and you're going to make us holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.